All right, we're continuing in John chapter 12. We've been going through the Gospel of John. We're partway through chapter 12. I hope to finish chapter 12 today. Uh, we're going to start in verse 42. We've come to the last week in Jesus' life. Uh, he's entered Jerusalem riding on donkeys to great fanfare. It's just a few days before he's crucified. He speaks about his impending death. Uh, last lesson, he talked about how he would be lifted up, and he was the light of the world that was about to be taken away. So he's speaking about his death in uh, so, sort of like a, a parable form. He just quoted from two places in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, who was believed our report that people aren't believing him. In Isaiah 6, uh, that's of course, that's the famous, uh, famous place in, in the throne room of God. And Isaiah talks about the people's hearts being blinded and their hearts are hard so they won't listen and understand. Uh, so, th- so we're going to pick up right after that in John chapter 12. I'm going to read. start off by reading verses 42 and 43. If you could read along with me, if you have a Bible. says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So uh, that, uh, that last statement there kind of, kind of grabbed me. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So we want to, want to talk, talk about that quite a bit, about what the implications of that are. Uh, so many people believe in Jesus. It says even among the rulers, there are people who are believing in Jesus, but they're afraid to confess him. Now, why do they believe in him? I think they believed in him because of the miracles, because of the fulfilled prophecies, now think about all the miracles we've studied so far in John, turning the water into wine, feeding thousands with bread from heaven, walking on the water, healing a man uh, who, was, who was born blind, and then maybe the last, the greatest one, is raising Lazarus from the dead after he'd been in the tomb for four days. And this is just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. So uh, there's tremendous, tremendous uh, belief in Jesus based on all of these signs the great prophet from Nazareth, Nazareth, but uh, people are afraid that they'd be put out of the synagogue by the Pharisees if they confessed his name, which reminds me of the story we read earlier when Jesus healed the man who was born blind in John chapter 9. And the Jews go to his parents and they say, uh, is this your son? And are you sure it's your son? And how does he see? And the parents say, well, very courageously, they say, go ask him. They just say, we don't, he's, yes, he's our son. We don't know how he got healed. Go and ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And, and, and the reason it says in, in John chapter 9, it says his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already, if anyone confessed he was the Christ, they'd be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they, they sidestepped the issue because they didn't want to be thrown out of the synagogue. They liked being part of the spiritual community, and they didn't want to take uh, stick their necks out and get re- risk getting kicked out. Uh, so they loved the praise of men 
more than the praise of God. I was talking about this passage this week with my wife, Allison, and uh, uh, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, Allison, but, uh, but uh, I guess it's too late if you do. But, <laughs> but she said something I thought was really, really good insight. She said that they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And she said, you know, the praise of God is God praising me? I, I, that, doesn't, that doesn't feel right somehow. I struggle with the idea of God praising me. You know, and that may seem like a really, honestly, we stop and think about that. That may seem like a very strange thought of God praise. We're supposed to be the ones praising God. What is it talking about God praising us? What's that all about? Does that make any sense? Does it tie in with anything else in Scripture? I thought, that's a really good question. It made me stop and think about that. What does that mean? God, God praising me? That's, that's, that just seems so odd. Um, scripture that we, we uh, hit earlier, it says in John 5, 44, Jesus said, uh, How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Uh, and then in, uh, in Matthew chapter 25, Let's, let's turn to Matthew chapter 25. You read that for yourself. So I thought, this is a great question. Matthew, what's this about God seeking the praise of God? Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is talking about his return and people being prepared for when he comes back and he's talking about the final judgment and he's, he's communicating using several different parables. And in one of them, the parable of the talents, he talks about one will be given five talents, one will be given two, one will be given one, and of course the ones that are given five and two put that to work and double it, and the one who's given the one hides it and does nothing with it. And uh, so the contrast there, if you look in Matthew chapter 25, you can look in either verse 21 or 24, 23, they say pretty much the same thing. Um, uh, so those who were given five and were given two who multiplied it, the Lord says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So I think that's, that's, that's a praise. It's from the Lord is saying, well done. You did a good job. I gave you something to do, and you did exactly what I asked you to do. Well done. So that, that's, I think of that as being uh, an affirmation, a praise, an appreciation from the Lord. And as opposed to on the other side, where the servant who didn't do, who was, who was given the one talent but didn't do anything with it, he's rebuked with the words from the Lord, you wicked, lazy servant. And then he gives the order, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the idea that the, that, that the Lord will praise us or rebuke us, to seek, we're seeking the praise of God, the, the well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I think I want to be seeking in life. I want to seek the well done, good and faithful servant which, belong, which is given to those who are faithful and obedient to the teachings of Jesus and who are doing the work of the kingdom. They can look forward to this, they're, they're receiving their, their uh, praise from the Master. 
So back to the question here. This, the reason that kept so many of the religious leaders from acknowledging Jesus publicly is they wanted to be thought well of by the other religious leaders and by their associates. They didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. Um, now, I think there's, there's a lesson for us in here about pleasing men or pleasing God. I think, I believe those who want to follow Jesus are going to be tested from time to time just like these people were. And the test is, how much do you really love Jesus? Do you love Jesus and do you love the praise of God more than the praise of men? If it comes down to a choice between one or the other, it exposes our hearts. Uh, are you willing to be rejected by religious leaders or friends or people you look up to? Who are you really seeking to please in life, God or men? I think Jesus spoke directly to this point in Luke chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Plain. In Luke chapter 6, it's similar to the Sermon on the Mount. People who are willing to be rejected because they take a stand for Jesus. Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read the, the two contrasting passages here, starting in verses 22 and 23. He says, I'm reading from the New King James, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. So... Uh, that's a, a pretty, uh, it's a blessing, but it's a pretty sobering one. And then let's look at the reverse side of the coin there, what he says in verse 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So Jesus, I think what Jesus is saying is, it's going to be the same as it was in the Old Testament. Everybody loved the false prophets, and they hated and rejected and kicked out and persecuted the real prophets. And it's not going to change. The same story is going to hold. In the parallel passage in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, do you want to be treated the same as the prophets? The true prophets or the false prophets? What do you really want in your heart? And I see some kind of grimaces in the room here. Not everybody is real thrilled about where this is going, but that's what Jesus says. Uh, that's the point that he makes in the past that you should, if you're following God, you should expect to be treated pretty much the way the prophets were. One of the reasons to read the Old Testament is you get to see how the prophets were treated because he says if you're following him, you're going to have to pay the same price, make the same decisions, and get treated the same way. That's what you should expect. Stephen 
before he was stoned to death, makes the very same point. And this is probably part of the reason why he got stoned. So, And let's read in Acts chapter 7. So Stephen, Stephen's uh, speech to the, to the Jews in Jerusalem before he's stoned, I break it down into three points here. The first point is that your fathers rejected Joseph, your fathers rejected Moses, and you're just like your fathers, you've just rejected and killed the Messiah. That's the, th- it's the basic three-point message there. So uh, he elaborates, but that's, that's, the, that's the bare bones of the message there. It says you're just like your fathers. And he concludes in verse 51, Acts chapter 7, verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Verse 54, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, The Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. When he had said this, he fell asleep. So obviously, he's figuratively died. So, so that's, the, that's the point that he's making. He says, which of the prophets... Did your fathers not persecute? He's saying, you know, you're, you're just like your fathers, basically. So he's killed by the religious leaders for speaking the truth, and he's honored by a vision of Jesus standing. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I mean, I, I think of this as an example of somebody who's seeking to please God, not men. This is somebody, this is the ultimate example of that, by speaking the truth and paying for it with his life and being honored by the Son Son of God as a result. Uh, So the Old Testament is full, as Jesus Jesus pointed out in in Luke 6 and Matthew Matthew 5, and and also as... uh, uh, Stephen points out in Acts 7, the Old Testament is full of examples of prophets who were persecuted. The real prophets, the true, pers- the true prophets. At the end of Hebrews 11, it talks about the righteous people in the Old Testament. I'll start in the middle of verse 35. It says, after listing dozens of heroes of faith. It says, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. 
They wandered in deserts, mountains, and dens and caves of the earth. Now, this is not an academic history lesson. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to explain is this is how the people of faith lived and were treated in the past. So this is what you should expect if you're following their footsteps. That's the, po- the whole point that he's, he's giving these examples. If we stop and think about the examples in the Old Testament of men and women both who expressed great faith, Isn't this the picture we see over and over again? I'll share with you a few examples that I think of. And in Joshua chapter 2 is the story of Rahab, uh, who is held up in the New Testament as a righteous woman in Hebrews and also in James. Let's read in Joshua chapter 2. Someone who is more concerned about uh, pleasing and, and fearing God than people. It's a good example for us. In Joshua chapter 2, let's start reading in verse 7. So this is the it speaks about how uh, Rahab took in, in Rahab was in Jericho and she took in the two Jewish spies who were sent there. And uh, people were hunting for them. I'll start in verse 4. But the woman took the men and hid them, and she spoke to them, saying, The men came to me, but as the gate was being shut in the darkness, the men went out. I don't know where they went. Pursue them, indeed, you may overtake them. But she led them to the roof and hid them in the stalk of flax she piled together on the roof. So, So here, obviously, she is making an excuse. She's hiding the men, the the spies. Uh, they had come come to to her place. She's hiding them and telling a story to lead the the uh, king's soldiers in another direction. Verse seven. So the men searched for them along the road to Jordan to the fords, and the gate was closed. And it came to pass when the men who pursued them went after them, and before the spies went to sleep, she went to them on the roof and said, "I know the Lord gave you the land." For fear of you has fallen upon us. For we heard the Lord dried up the Red Sea before you. And when you came out of the land of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and to Og, whom you utterly destroyed. So when we heard it, we were amazed in our heart. There was no longer any spirit in us, in any of us, because of your presence. For your God is in heaven above and on earth, and on earth below. Now therefore swear to me by the Lord, God, that as I showed you mercy, you shall also be merciful to me and my father's house, and capture alive all my house, my father and mother, and my brothers, and everything they have, and deliver my soul from death. So, you think about this, this is a woman who's living in the city of Jericho, who goes up against the king of Jericho, and the army of the city of Jericho, risking her life, because she's more afraid of God who made heaven and earth and who, who defeated the Egyptians than she is of her own king. She's more afraid of God and she's more concerned about pleasing him than pleasing even the powerful people in her own city. And of course, her life is spared as a result of that. Uh, another great example I think of is the prophet Elijah. 
of someone who is much more concerned about pleasing God than pleasing people. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, or if you're uh, if you have a Bible space on the Septuagint, it's in Third Kingdoms. Just a different title for the same book. So Ahab has one of the most wicked kings of all time, maybe the most wicked king in all the Bible. And uh, Elijah, the great prophet, who is opposed to the king. And uh, uh, Elijah goes into hiding. Ahab tries to find him. And then they, they meet each other. They encounter one another. And, and verse 17 says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, are you the one who is troubling Israel? Elijah answered, I haven't troubled Israel, but rather you in the house of your father. And you forsook the Lord your God and followed after the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of shame and the 400 prophets of the sacred groves who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab went back to Israel and gathered all the prophets on Mount Carmel. Then Elijah came near to all of them and said, How long will you be undecided between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. The people didn't answer. Then Elijah said to the people, If I alone remain as a prophet of the Lord, but there are 450 men who are prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the sacred groves. Okay. He said, and he said I alone remain as a prophet of the Lord, but there are 400, 450 and 400. So basically it's, 850 to 1 is the is a showdown. 850 false prophets and one true prophet. And he challenges them and he says, I want everybody in Israel to see this showdown here. So uh, you think about Elijah, who's held up as such a great example of faith. It's Moses and Elijah who show up at the Mount of Transfiguration. And it says that Elijah will come back before the day of the Lord. Um, he's willing to stand alone, completely and utterly outnumbered, going up against the king who wants him killed and has an army to hunt him down, and he challenges the people from that position, make a decision. You're going to follow God or you're going to follow, follow uh, them? What, what are you going to do? He stands alone against the entire corrupt religious establishment of his nation. So he's obviously a man who's much more concerned about pleasing God than he is about pleasing people. Micaiah, someone we may not be as familiar with, but I love this story, so I just want to share this. This is another example. I need heroes. Jesus points back that we're going to be treated like the prophets. I want to know what they're like, how they were treated, so I can, I can have some people to model myself after here. In 2 Chronicles chapter 18, <clears throat> these are the kind of people that Jesus and Stephen have in mind. So this is further on during the time of Ahab the prophet. I'm sorry, further on during the time of, of King Ahab and speaks of uh, Ahab, who is the king of Israel, and Josephat, the king of Judah. 
in chapter 18 and verse 1. Joseph had a great wealth and honor, and he allied himself by marriage with Ahab. After several years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. Ahab killed many sheep and oxen for him and for the people with him and persuaded him to go with him to Ramoth Gilead. So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me against, uh, against Ramoth Gilead? And he answered him, In time of war, I am like you, and my people are like your people. And Josephat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire to the Lord today. The king of Israel gathered the prophets, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for God will deliver this place into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here, so we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There's still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good concerning me, but always evil. He's Micaiah, the son of Imla. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. Then Ahab called a eunuch and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imla. The king of Judah, Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat on their thrones, clothed in their robes. They sat on a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of uh, uh, Chenanah, made from iron horns for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they're destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied in a similar manner, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord's hand will deliver it to the king. <clears throat> then the messenger who went to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Therefore, let your word be like the words of one of them and speak encouragement. It's a little coaching here. Okay. <laughs> Verse 13, Then Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, I'll say whatever my God tells me. Mm-hmm. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And he said, Go and prosper, and they'll be delivered into your hand. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear not to tell me anything but the truth in the name of the Lord? He must have known he was lying. Okay. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep having no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he doesn't prophesy good concerning me but evil? Then Micaiah said, No, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing at his right and his left. And the Lord said, Who will deceive Ahab, king of Israel, and go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I'll deceive him. And the Lord said, In what way? So he said, I'll go out to be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall deceive him and prevail. Go out and do so. Listen, therefore, the Lord put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. 
the Lord declares disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, the, the, the son of Chaniah, approached and slapped Micaiah on the cheek and said, What sort of spirit of the Lord passed by way of me speaking to you? And Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go from chamber to chamber to hide yourself. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah, return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the chief captain, the son of the king, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison. Let him eat the bread of affliction and drink the water of affliction until I return in peace. And Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord did not speak by me. And he said, Take heed, all you people. There's a prophet. That's a prophet of God. And uh, great lessons to learn here. That uh, Jesus wants us to be like the prophets, and he warns us we're going to be treated like the prophets. So, 400 people tell the king what he wants to hear. And one guy, Ahab, hates him because he never says anything good about me. He never says anything good about me because the guy needs to repent and there's nothing good to be said about Ahab. So, Because he, he tells the truth. So, you tell the truth, you're going to be unpopular. Number one. Number two, he's got 400 prophets telling him one thing and one prophet telling him the truth. 400 prophets who have a lying spirit from the Lord, whatever that means, okay, who, who, who are deceiving, and, and one prophet who is telling the truth. And how does he get treated? He gets slapped in the face, insulted, thrown in prison, and given the bread of affliction and the water of affliction. I don't know if that's normal bread and water or that's worse than usual bread and water, but it doesn't sound very good. And he says, if, you know, if these things don't happen, the Lord didn't speak to me. So he doesn't back down even when he is being on, the, on his way off to prison. So this is, this is what the prophets of God were like. They didn't care about people. They didn't care about, they weren't there to please people. They were there to speak the word of the Lord and suffer the consequences and suffer they did. Jeremiah, we could, we could have a whole lesson on Jeremiah, the way he was treated. He was, he was insulted, he was mocked, he gave a letter to the king, the king took his knife and, and, and every, every section of the, of the letter that was read, he had it cut off and thrown into the fire as if that's going to be able to negate the word of God. Jeremiah gets thrown into a muddy cistern, a pit, and uh, has to get pulled out of there. Uh, he, he's, uh, he spends time in prison. He's treated horribly as a result. Uh, you know, and it talks about in, in Hebrews 11, it says they were, they were stoned, they were sawn in two. There's an old Jewish tradition that Isaiah was put into a hollow log that was sawn in two during the, the time of wicked king Manasseh. So this is how the prophets were treated. So... We have, on the one hand, some heroic examples for us of people who live to please God, not to please people. We also have the example on the other side, on the flip side, of people who caved in and maybe they started off good, but they, at some point in their time they caved to the pressure because they wanted to please the people. And you see what happened to that. Three examples I can think of the story of the golden calf. 
Moses is up. The people start partying and want to go back into idolatry. And so Aaron, Aaron gives the instruction to make the golden calf. And the people are bowing down to the golden calf in, in the book of Exodus. There's one example where he's bowing to the pressure of the people and like Moses. Another famous example in 1 Samuel 15 is Saul. When he defeats the Amalekites, God says, destroy everything, and he doesn't do that. The people, he keeps the good stuff for his soldiers. And as a result of that, he loses the kingdom. So he bows to the pressure He's more concerned about pleasing the people than he is pleasing God. Solomon, in his old age, is another example of this too. Solomon was told not to marry, not to multiply wives. He's not supposed to marry pagan wives. He makes two mistakes. First mistake is he marries lots of pagan wives. And then the second mistake is he's more concerned with pleasing his wives than he is with pleasing God. And so what does he do? He offers incense on the high places for all the pagan gods that his pagan wives are worshiping. So he gets, he gets snared into idolatry to, to the uh, to tremendous destruction for, uh, for the, the nation of, of Israel. So uh, Aaron, Saul, and Solomon, good examples to me of people who caved in and although they started off good, they succumb to the pressure of wanting to please people, wanting to be popular. Um, So the questions for us, obviously we're going to be put to the test. I think many of us in the room have already been put to the test a few times. Are you going to please God or please people? Just like the people in Jesus' time, and they decided they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue, they didn't want to stand for the truth. Here, this is the Messiah and they're more concerned about pleasing religious leaders than they are about pleasing God. So it's just a time to examine your own heart and, and expectation of this. Do I, I really do I really want to be cut out of the same fabric spiritually that the prophets were cut out of? Am I prepared to endure that when the time comes? I mean, I think this is this is a huge problem. I think most Christians today to be honest with you, based on what I'm seeing, they like to find a nice, comfortable group and conform to the group and not make waves. Okay? That's what they like to do. And that's that's exactly what the Jews were doing then. They, 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 they wanted to be in the synagogue. They didn't want to make waves, even though it was clear that what, was going, what the Pharisees were doing was going against the word of God. They didn't want to become unpopular. They wanted people to be happy. Um, and people, when they try to find a group that they feel comfortable with, different people will gravitate towards different, different kind of groups. And I was raised Roman Catholic. You know, people, are, people gravitate to the Roman Catholic Church. For one thing, it's really old. They can say, we've been around for a couple thousand years. So there's, there's a draw there of there's, this isn't something that was created yesterday. There's the ritual experience. There's the pageantry. Uh, you know, there's the candles, the incense in Catholic or Orthodox churches. There's a succession of leaders. There's the robes. There's, there's all this stuff that goes along with it that draws people. Honestly, it draws a certain, repels some people, but draws other people. Uh, <clears throat> other people want to have a dynamic worship experience. So there, there's the band, the light show. There's the, there's the, the stage production. 
professional performance. There's the entertaining speaker who comes up and gives a great monologue afterwards. Uh, so, uh, or, or, or there are all kinds of programs that are offered, programs to help you. You know, if you want to, programs to help your marriage, to help your child rearing, to social services, or whatever. It's, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you need, this will offer the programs to do. Some people are drawn to groups that are like that. Some people want a nice, inclusive group of friendly people that are all like themselves. Or groups that will have a set of rules that, that keeps everything the, uh, uh, the same. And uh, there's, a, there's a tremendous sense of identity that's built around that. So people are, there are all different kinds of groups that you can choose. And most people will find a group and they'll ask the question, of all these groups that are out there, what's the group that I want to be part of? And they join the group, and then when you're part of the group, you don't want to make waves. Like, let's get along. I'm getting some benefits out of the group. I'm getting benefits out of the relationship I want to be thought well of. Well, I think the real question is, what's the truth? And where does that lead me? And generally, it's going to lead you into trouble. No matter what group you land in, if you love the truth and you're devoted to the truth, you're going to find at some point in time, wait a minute, everybody's saying one thing, but this is what the Word of God says, and if I speak up, I'm going to be ostracized. People aren't going to like that. So that's what's going to happen. Uh, and I think some of us know that from personal experience. So uh, you know, that is just not going to cut it. Just find a nice group, whether it's this group or any other group, find a nice group and conform is not going to do it. You, we need to have hearts that we are way more concerned about pleasing God Amen. than pleasing people. That's what it's going to take if we're going to make it. Don't, so don't just think that this is a great group. Let's just conform and get along and have a nice time here. That's, that's not what God is looking for. We can't do that. Um, let's look at what Paul said in, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. What verse is it? 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. <clears throat> so Paul warned Timothy, he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, and the word doctrine there simply means teaching, okay? but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. So Paul warns us that just conforming with the group is going to be dangerous. He says people are going to heap up they're going to find teachers to tell them what their itching ears want, want to hear. And uh, they're going to be turned away from the truth and turned aside to fables, to, to things that are, that are just stories that aren't really true. Um, so I think it's incumbent on all of us to take responsibility to know personally what Jesus taught, not only what they taught, but where they taught it. Meaning, you can open the Bible and point it out, and you can know for sure. 
not just this is a great group, let's rock along and let's conform to whatever we're being taught here. I mean, that's the reason why we post the notes for our lessons and, and really try to go focus on expository teaching, going through the scriptures and reading a lot of scripture is so that everybody can get their convictions, they can build their foundation on the solid rock of the teachings of Jesus and the word of God. You build a foundation that can't be shaken. There's no substitute for that. We can't just be going along with a group. The first thing, if you want to please God rather than people, the first thing you have to do is know what God says. That's right. Okay? That's the first thing you have to do. You have to know what God says. You've got to be devoted to studying the Word of God. I think devoted to studying it every day. You've got to know... This is what God says. This is what people say. This is what Jesus was blasting uh, the people in Mark chapter 7 and Matthew 15 for. It says you're, you're holding on to the, 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 you let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to the teachings of men. You've got to be able to sort out, this is what God says that is not negotiable. And this is what man says, which we can take or leave. To know the word of God that well. I want to give you a, a kind of a wild example here uh, from this last week. I was raised Catholic. I was raised Roman Catholic. A few of us in the room uh, from Catholic background. So I always have one eye on the Catholic Church. I'm kind of fascinated with, I, I didn't have a bad, I didn't have a particularly bad experience in the Catholic Church uh, like many of my friends did. But uh, something happened this week that probably nobody in the room knows about, okay? But I want to share it with you. It was a... Uh, there was a, a news release that was picked up by a few outfits that the, the top leader in the Muslim world and the Pope got together in Abu Dhabi and they came out with a common declaration that these are the things that we have in common with each other. And most of them are, you know, motherhood and apple pie type things. You know, let's not exploit anybody. Let's be pro-peace. Uh, let's be for tolerance and brotherhood and the environment and, you know, all this good stuff. And let's not oppress women, things like this. So the, the, the top cleric from the Muslim side and the Pope getting together to agree all these things. And then I was reading in one of the news stories and there was a line in there that I said, this can't be true. There's no way that the Pope, the head of the Catholic Church, would ever sign off on something like this. I can't believe this. And so being the eternal skeptic, I went on to the Vatican website to read the document for myself. And there was, uh, most of it was pretty pretty uh, uh, benign stuff, uh, you know, very positive things. I appreciate people are, are concerned about uh, uh, tolerance and, and, and dampening down the tendency towards wars and things like that. That's, that's a good thing. But then there was this one, this one uh, sentence I ran into, and I thought, I can't believe this. This is outrageous. I, I'm going to read it to you and see if you react the way that I did. And it was talking about freedom. It says, freedom, this, this is right off the Vatican website from the document. Freedom is a right of every person. Each individual enjoys the freedom of belief, thought, expression, and action. So far, so good. The pluralism and diversity of religions, color, sex, race, and language are willed by God in his wisdom through which he created human beings. I'm saying, wait a minute. God created a diversity of languages from the time of Babel. He created two sexes, 
He created all kinds of races, but the plural and diversity of religions is willed by God in his wisdom? said, you've got to be kidding me. And, and the conservative Catholics are appalled by this. They're saying, what is going on here? And their defense is, this pope is saying something that contradicts what every pope before him has said. And that's the way they approach the whole thing. But so what if it contradicts every pope? My, my question is, what does the word of God say? What does Jesus say? What do the apostles say about this? It's only if you know what the truth is, if you know the word of God, you can be able to sort through, you can sift through the truth from the nonsense. Uh, if people know. Now, there, I think there's a tendency in the world, and we're, this is one example, there's a tendency in the world to try to correct for horrible things that have been done in the past. Uh, uh, th- we, we've come out of a time of, of genocides, of religious-infused wars, oppression of women, oppression of certain races, and, and religious strife, and things like that. Okay, that's all bad stuff. But we can't, in correcting those evils, you can't just, all of a sudden, you can't throw the Word of God and the teachings of Jesus in the trash to try to correct problems that have been done in the past. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 24, before the end comes, he said, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. He said, false Christs and false prophets will rise to great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. When Paul went to Athens to preach in Acts 17, he saw the city was full of all kinds of other religions, of all kinds of idols. He didn't call a council together and say, isn't it wonderful that God has created this diversity of religions? That's not what he said. What he said was, when he saw the false religion the idols that were all over the city, he said, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he's ordained. He's given assurance to this, of this to all by raising him from the dead. Now, Paul said, look, we're done with all these false religions. God's had it. The time is over. He's not going to put up with this any longer. And he's, going to, he's, bringing, he's bringing one, he's being proved to this by raising one man from the dead. He's going to bring him back to judge the living and the dead. And, uh, you know, what was, well, how was he treated as a result of that? Well, he was, he was mocked, he was abused, but some people, some people followed him. Um, I'll share a story from my, this last week with me. I, I, uh, it's kind of a crazy story, but uh, at work, I work as an engineer at work. Um, I was hanging out in the office, and we have a very, very tiny little lunchroom there. And uh, so one of the engineers, who's, who's from a Muslim background, uh, he knew that I had spent many years ago some time in the ministry and went back into engineering. And so he asked me the question. He says, now you were in the ministry. Why did you go back into engineering again? You were in the engineering, then the ministry. And why did you go back into engineering? And I said, I gave him an honest answer. I got out of, of, of uh, the ministry because I was fired. 
I said, when did you get out of the I said, when As soon as they said, you're fired, I thought I better do something else to make a living. I better go back to engineering. So, and, and then the follow-on question was, why did you get fired? And then, why did you get fired and not just pick up another job in the ministry someplace? And I said, listen, I'm in my office. I say, that would be a long conversation. We can't do that right now. And he says, well, how about we have lunch together on a Friday? I thought, well, golden opportunity to share my faith. This is great. So Friday, we went out for uh, went out for lunch outside the office, and I I said, in order to know why I got out of the ministry, you first better know why I got into the ministry in the first place, and and how I ended up, how I became a Christian. So I just had an opportunity to share my faith with him, and. Uh, you know, he told me that he had told his wife, because it was a couple days between the time of the initial conversation, and he said, you know, there's this guy at work, he got fired from the ministry, and we're going to have lunch together. And so his wife says, oh, I wonder if he got kicked out of the ministry because of some child abuse or sexual abuse thing. So I said, not like that at all. That's not why I got out of the ministry. So it wasn't, wasn't something quite like that. But in the course of explaining how I became a Christian, from, I was raised Catholic, but I was an agnostic uh, for, for a period of time. In the course of doing that, I, I, I came back and he said, well, how do you know this is true? I said, well, I, the, basically I went right back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where it says the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead on the third day in fulfillment of the prophecies. I said, that's the faith. Either it happened or it didn't happen. And I said, if it did happen, he's the son of God. That's it. And I said, and if it happened, anybody who said it didn't happen, that he didn't die on the cross and didn't rise from the dead, is a false prophet. Mm. And he knew what I was talking about there. Okay? But that's it. We need to love we need to, to love Muslims and, and, and be kind to everybody and, and treat them with dignity and respect, but tell them the truth, that God didn't create all these religions, is that they're false prophets, and Jesus talked about that, and we need to watch out for that, and we need to prepare to explain that to people. So this, you know, this, this, I, I see this tolerance mentality just destroying churches because we need to be... Uh, tolerant and respectful of other people. We don't mean be repressing other people. We don't mean using the power of the government to, to enforce our morality. But, uh, you know, if something is laid out in Scripture clearly, then uh, we shouldn't back down from it, no matter what it is. Um, this whole idea of pleasing God rather than men, I think, uh, is going to be challenging for some people more than others in different areas. I think those of us who really want to be thought well of and respected by the world and respected by people around us, this is going to be tough because there are things in the scriptures that, that are going to invite mock and ridicule. They always have things in, in the word. Another, another group of people that are going to have a hard time with this is people who are conflict avoiders, notorious conflict avoiders. Now there's a word, there's a word in the Bible that uh, that that captures this idea of conflict avoider. Let's turn to um, Revelation chapter 21, and I think you can pick it out of the out of the lineup here. A word for conflict avoiders. 
In Revelation chapter 21. And what verse again, Chuck? Verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns from, with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, where do you think conflict avoiders fit in that, in that lineup there? It's obviously the first thing he mentions, cowards. Okay? We don't need to be cowards. We have to, tell, we have, to have the courage to speak the truth when it's not going to be well received, to speak it to unbelievers and also to speak it to believers and speak it to religious leaders. We can't be cowards. Um, people that will struggle with this will include those who uh, struggle with Jesus' command to evangelize the world and evangelize the people around us because you're going to subject yourself to ridicule and, 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 and hatred from other people. So we need to pray for boldness and courage. I, I, mean, I do too. I really, it's, this is something I really, uh, uh, really want to grow in in my own life. Repent of cowardice and be bold with people and, and speak the truth. And we need to be concerned, way more concerned. We need to be concerned about pleasing, pleasing God, not pleasing men, and fearing God, not fearing men. Amen. And then another area. This is for. For, this is this is for the for the the home crowd here. This is for the the homies, all right. Those who would the, the struggle of pleasing God rather than man is those who would tend to avoid real discipling, iron sharpening, iron relationships. Now, okay, uh, a lot of us had bad experiences with discipling. People try to run our lives, tell us what to do. We don't want to do that. Okay, but. Speaking the truth in love is still in, that's always in season. We need to do that. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We need to have iron sharpening iron relationships. I think, honestly, I think the women in our group are doing a better job of this than the men are, in my opinion. And you can disagree with that, but I'm just throwing it out there. I think that the women... Have, are, are much more willing to tangle with each other and to challenge each other naturally. Maybe they spend more time together. I don't know. But I think that's what God wants us to do, to be courageous as men and challenging each other. Uh, you know, this is not about just finding a nice, comfortable group. Now, I don't want to be like, uh, I remember going to, and, and looking at chickens, and I see some of them where they're, they're missing a whole lot of feathers. I say, what's that? Well, this is because they're pecking at each other so much. We don't want to be pecking at each other like a flock of chickens, all right? I don't want that. Uh, but, uh, uh, but we need to be iron sharpening iron. We need to be challenging each other. And, uh, you know, not a circular firing squad where everybody's just, just, just shooting at each other all the time. But, but it's like, hey, you know, I, I see something I'm concerned about in your life. And doing it, figuring out what's the right way to do it, you know? The, the, I think the brothers need to be challenging the brothers, uh, you know, wives need to be respectful to their husbands, but that doesn't mean you don't point something out in a respectful way if you see something that's not right. Something I heard this week which concerned me personally was I heard someone say, you know, Chuck, there are things in your life that people see, but they don't want to say it to you. And so... I thought, wow, that's not good. If people seeing things in my life, particularly they see the same things, everybody's got stuff they need to deal with. So, uh, 
Now, David, why are you handing out numbers here? Is this is like a deli? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> one, two, three, four. Okay, afterwards we can, uh, we can gang up on Chuck. No, one at a time, please. Don't gang tackle me. But I need this in my life. I want. I need. I need. I need uh, uh, feedback of people who are telling me the truth. Uh, you know, I'm strong in some areas, but I'm not in others. And those who know, the better you know me, the better. I see a lot of nodding heads right now, the, the second part of that sentence. So, all right. Uh, Psalm 141.5. Let, let the righteous strike me, it shall be kindness. Let him rebuke Amen. me, it shall be as excellent oil. My head will not refuse it. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's still in the scriptures. I was planning to finish John chapter 12, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to stop right there and uh, you know, take a number and we'll, we'll continue the discussion. Amen. Amen.